This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, all their assorted subsidiaries. It's Pixar, it's Marvel, it's everything in between. Uh, we talk about it here on this here program. I am your host, Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with the folks you are about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find show notes for this show. You can find all kinds of fun information about former movies and things that disney has produced so make sure you go check out all the fun content over at disneyfilmproject.com joining me as always we have our film experts first of all we have mr todd perlmutter who is a chief technical officer over at disneydrivenlife.com he works at on the go in mco.com and when i saw the premise of this movie i said you know who needs to be watching this and that's mr todd perlmutter because it's about time travel yes i i agree it's a very early prototype it's time travel. It's technology. It's 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 the butterfly effect. I mean, it, it's everything wrapped up into one. I was only eleven at the time. Fair enough. I was one. It happens. It's okay. Nobody's judging, Todd. <laughs> you were you were eleven when it came out, but when you actually saw the movie and traveled back in time, you you could have been any age. Um, perhaps. Just saying. <laughs> it's all a mystery. For all ages. Uh, very true. This a evening room full of have, me. Yeah, a room full of you? That's kind of scary. Yes. Yeah. We we also have the, the lovely and talented Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who is the producer of this program. She is the one who edits all of this together, makes this uh, come out on a regular basis. She's the person who keeps the trains a rolling, if if you will. Uh, how are you this evening, Miss Cheryl? I'm doing good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Of course, we are normally joined by Miss Brianna Alessio, but you know she has one of those pesky job things, and from time to time she can't make it. So when that happens, you got to stay alert, people, because Cheryl will go out there on the Twitters or on uh, Facebook on our on our Facebook page, and she will or on search email. out on email. You don't know. She will search you out, and she will find a place uh, to get new people to join the program, such as our guest this evening. We have with us Miss Rachel Godfrey. You can find her writing over at JustPressPlay.net. You can find her on Twitter at Rachel E. Kolb, K-O-L-B. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing great. I'm very happy to be here. We are extremely excited to have you. Uh, we apologize for the uh, the film that you had to watch for this, but, you know, <laughs> Everybody's got to pay a price to be on the show. You know what I'm saying? I'm fine with it. I, as I said, I'm a fan of mystery science theater. I'm a fan of Doctor Who. So this is time travel. It's just all up my alley. So 
I think the effects in in the not the current Doctor Who, but in old Doctor Who, were actually a little better than this. They were definitely better than this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, so tonight we are talking about Unidentified Flying Oddball, or as many of you may know it, a, The Spaceman and King Arthur, a movie that Disney released in 1978 under the Unidentified Flying Oddball title and then edited it for TV and it got re-released and chopped up and switched around and, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, but it is basically a retelling of the Mark Twain story, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Uh, and by retelling, I mean they took the premise and then they inserted other people into it and made it a, a different thing. <laughs> sure, that's one way of saying it. That was the nice way of saying it. Yes. You know, it's like saying Deer Hunter is based on Bugs Bunny. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Uh, it stars Dennis Dugan, who is not credited in the movie. He is referred to as his character's name in the credits. That should be a sign to you when in the opening credits of the film, they will not refer to the lead actor as his actual name. Maybe he's happy when you look back at his current career. True, because he's a very successful uh, director now. He, uh, in, yes. in case you don't know who he is, uh, he, he collaborates – almost exclusively with Adam Sandler and has directed the majority of his films, many of which most of our listeners probably uh, are not allowed to see because they're, you know, rated R. But uh, like Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, uh, Don't Mess With the Zohan, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, like pretty much all of the Adam Sandler films you know, uh, with the possible exception of Happy Madison, he's the director of those films. Uh, and that is what he's been up to since he was in this film playing Tom Trimble, Trimble um, which is what he is credited as in the movie. He also plays the, the lookalike android Hermes. So I have a trick question. He no longer works for NASA. Do you ever work for NASA? <laughs> Who, I don't uh, think so. Dennis Dugan? Yes. No. Why would he have ever worked? actually okay. worked for NASA? Because it's... Because the the I'm the the somebody one of the, the one of the reviews I said one of the reviews I read said NASA technician Dennis Dugan. It was kind of confusing as to what exactly like who exactly he was working for because like the NASA guys called him up and asked him to make this robot, but you don't ever know who he's working for exactly. I don't think. Yeah, it's very interesting that he he is a ro- he can build a robot duplicate of himself so the answer to my question is no he's never been a NASA technician that we know of no or if he is he's hiding it right in, in under and maybe he's in a, in a deep secret shadow clearance or something deep there secret you. shadow here we go <laughs> oh does Jasper know the answer and he's just trying to he's trying to communicate with us <laughs> Sorry. Dude, maybe he's been turned into a dog. There we go. <laughs> Tom Trimble is a dog? It okay. Improved I just got to ask, did anyone else get a weird Matthew Broderick sort of vibe from Tom Trimble in this movie? Because the whole time I kept feeling like if they made this today, it would be Matthew Broderick, like Inspector Gadget, Matthew Broderick doing this movie. 
I, I guess. I just like to point out that I'm pretty sure there's no difference between, you know, War Games Matthew Broderick and Inspector Gadget Matthew Broderick. I'm just saying. <laughs> Fair point. Or Godzilla Matthew Broderick. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. I, I I gave Todd a flashback. My night is complete. No, no. Well, you do you know the story? It's not it's not that Godzilla, but the 1985 Godzilla is the only uh, movie I ever went to the movie theater to see that I legitimately got up out of my seat and walked out on. Well, you clearly haven't seen enough movies in the theater then. <laughs> no, usually I will sit through anything. Mm-hmm. Well, as we've proved on this podcast. Although I like Matthew Barr from Lion King. Yes. And I liked him in the producers. Yes, exactly. I was going to say he's a tal- he's a talented guy. Just I think he needs to do more Broadway. There we go. All right. So the the story of this, in case you have not read the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, is basically that we have a an astronaut who goes back in time and lands in in King Arthur's in Camelot, basically. Uh, and so that that's the original story. This one is. Uh, a little different. I, I haven't read the the original story, but this kind of plays a little bit with it. Uh, and we have Hermes the android. We have Tom Trimble. Uh, but the film opens ends with this model of the spacecraft. And I don't know about you guys when you were watching it, but when I'm looking at it, I'm I'm going, please don't let that be the actual spaceship because it looks like a model. I mean, it acts like a model. And fortunately, at the beginning of the movie, it's not. It actually is just a model. Yeah, but then mm-hmm. when they reuse it for the actual blast stuff later, it's... <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I think the one that they use there looks actually worse than the 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 model at the beginning, but that's just me. <laughs> well, and, and when they're flying through space later on in the movie, they use the exact same shot mm-hmm. as as this opening pitch of the spacecraft. So we have the. The NASA scientist was explaining the faux science that if they put somebody in a spacecraft through some sort of weirdness that I can't understand, it could possibly go back in time. Well, he didn't say go back in time when he was he was actually talking about the the relativity principle, but he explained it very poorly. Uh, very. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea is that, um, and everybody's probably seen the video in in science class if you've been to any science class in the past like thirty five years. Okay, okay. where you have the people stay on Earth and the guy blasts off in the rocket at light speed, but he comes back, and for him he's only aged like a year, but everybody else is aged like twenty. They always show that video. That's what he's trying to explain is that though from the point of view of Earth, the trip for him to go to Alpha Centauri would take thirty years it would only actually take him four and a half years to get there. Right. That's that's what they were trying to explain. They explained it really, really poorly. Yes. Which, that part makes sense. It's the going back in time part that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, he, well, he, he wasn't really saying you could go back in time. He just, it, would, it would actually, from the point of view of the, of the traveler, the, the traveler spends less time traveling because he's because he's near the speed of light as opposed to the people who are not near the speed of light who traverse time normally. Right. So it's no, not no, I, I understand that part. What I'm saying is you're talking about him going forward in time and the earth going hundreds of years forward while he's only gone four years in time. In right. in all of this we're talking about forward motion only. Yes. That is not what happens in this movie. 
They never explained that. Near as I could tell, though, uh, it was supposed to be the Star Trek slingshot effect. Right? Because he's out past the moon, and then he does something, and suddenly he's tumbling back towards Earth. Right? Now, if you remember uh, when they uh, – what is it? In Star Trek Four, The Undiscovered Country. Did I get that right? I think you did. Kids, okay. check with your parents before you watch this movie. What? It's Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. Maybe rated. Oh, I think it's PG. Yeah, um, I think it's so they use the, to, to do their time travel, they literally slingshot around the moon, and then they're able to time travel back in time to, I think it's 1985, right? Something like that. It's been a yeah, very long time. Yeah. So It was present day when that movie came out. I remember yeah. that. Oh, and, wait. Is, uh, that, is that the Whales movie? That's the Whales movie. Yes, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Funny fact about that movie, we actually have transparent aluminum today. But I continue. <laughs> <laughs> but you digress. But I digress. That's right. Yeah. So uh, they pit- he pitches this spacecraft, this engineer, uh, NASA engineer, and uh, the people say no because somebody would have to get into the spacecraft, and you know they don't want to waste a soldier or you know. Well, the elections want- are coming up. With the elections coming up from the <laughs> the senator. Yes. yes. Good point. He can't convince everybody, you know, that this there would be a risk to a human, and that would look bad because of the elections and all this kind of stuff. So this is when this this scientist gets the bright idea to ask Tom Trimble, who is too afraid of being in this movie to go by his real name, to build a robot to to go up in the spacecraft. And that's what we get. The opening credits is over him building the robot. Okay, so, I just have a – can I interrupt for a second? I just have a quick absolutely. question about this. Um, okay, so the logic is that they don't want to send someone up into space because they would lose a person in the midst of all this. Um, so instead, the guy who's in charge of the budget of this and keeps threatening to slash the budget is going to spend how much money on making a humanoid, like r- robotics that at that point would be so far beyond what – NASA's at. Oh, but, this but makes back no then, sense to me. Back then, they were able to build a man for six million dollars. <laughs> well, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, okay. I would also say that we probably weren't in the financial hard times with being in wars and stuff that we were at. Yeah, oh, but, I don't know about that. But the, but we, the we, senator we does say he's like, then. "Oh, I'm going to slash your budget. You know, if this doesn't work out and this makes me look bad." Well, so I think I think he yeah. built Hermes out of like you know I think he pulled a MacGyver and built Hermes out of like you know spare parts and chewing gum and bailing wire is what I was getting the impression. Because he sticks. Yeah, like he he just basically like grabbed a bunch of stuff and all of a sudden he's building a robot and I'm like, where did he get the skin from? That's kind of creepy. Okay, the shot to and from like his fake hand and where it's like real hand. They can't, or it's clearly that they they just have him sticking his hand into the shot, like when he's yes. testing out like the nerves or something. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Well, it's it's nineteen seventies Disney movies, so ridiculous is sort of the name of the game. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, needless to say, Hermes the robot, who is an exact duplicate of Dennis Dugan, Tom Trimble. What is your real name, sir? gets built, and they put him in the spacecraft, ready to go, and Tom has taught him all about human society. And it turns out that Hermes, being the smartest one in the movie, in my opinion, uh, Mm -hmm. decides that he should not go on this trip because he might not come back. 
So he, he's, you know, they're counting down to launch the rocket, and he's like, yeah, I don't know about this. Uh, and Tom has to sneak up there and convince him to go, and the rocket launches, and off we are in a wacky, zany adventure. My question is, here's my question would come up, when the heck is Tom going to eat on this trip? I mean, you've got to yeah. die. That was exactly what I was thinking. I, it's like they packed for a robot. There's no water. There's no food. I, I, I agree with this is you guys. Yeah, this I, is I'm a on board. Point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did take a, He did manage to take a magazine, though. So. It you had know, good articles. The, that's what I hear. People magazine. That's all we're going to say. It's like people <laughs> magazine. Instead, Google Rube Goldberg, who they mentioned at this point in time. Yes, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> But yes, through through amazing circumstances, Tom ends lands in England in 506. You forgot to mention though that the spaceship blasts off from being struck struck by lightning. Yes, it does because there's a storm. Yeah. I, I I'm not really sure how that worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you blacked that out. I, I think it did actually. <laughs> I didn't notice it until the second time watching. So wait, you, I'm sorry. We're gonna have to pause now. You watched this a second time. I know we, we ended did. up fast forwarding through some parts, but uh, yes, I made it through twice. We did too. Yeah, we watched it twice as well. And, uh, and, and we um, we also purchased this because we know Miss, we know Bree's gonna need to watch it as well. So we paid the extra three dollars on Amazon and bought it for ten. <laughs> wow. Um, sorry to all of you. It's all right. <laughs> okay, Brie has to watch it's, this too. So it's true. It's not the well, worst she... thing I've ever seen. Oh no, 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 no! no. no. Well, I, Godzilla, nineteen eighty-five. It's it's not, it's <laughs> not the worst. The, yeah, it's not the worst one on this podcast, but mm-hmm. it's in contention, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So he lands in England in in five oh six. And he immediately meets the lovely and blonde-haired, goose-carrying Alisand. I, I have a question. Yes, please. So, so when this counter starts counting backwards, it doesn't start counting back from a, like, 1972 or something like that. It starts counting back from 9,000. Well, maybe he went forward in time before he ended up going backward in time. Remember, just, they don't explain the backward in time thing. No, they don't. But, I mean, the clock was at 9,000, and then it's at 508, and then suddenly it's representing a year. I, I got nothing for you. Yeah, I'm just saying. But, yes, he meets Alessand, who... Maybe he was running in Jewish time. That's all he could feed Todd. <laughs> Can we show his Jewish time involved there? It's entirely possible. We, we just don't know people, is what we're saying. Maybe Fair dog enough. ears? Who knows? We don't know. <laughs> So, yes, he meets Alisand, the goose-carrying blonde, who we find out as, as they are being taken captive by Mordred, played by Jim Dale. Who, who, can, who can tell me what Jim Dale is most famous for? Pete's Dragon. No, actually not. Well, he also did the audiobooks for Harry Potter. And, there we any, go. any narration for anything Harry Potter since the movie is him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him and Stephen Fry. Yeah. So. Video games he does as well for Harry Potter, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and also he did Pushing Daisies, as he was yes. also that narrator as well. Yes, yes. he did. The, the best canceled show, in my opinion, next to Firefly. So, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to take issue there, but then you corrected yourself. So, good on you, Rachel. 
But yes, well, uh, Mordred takes push- them prisoner. Oh, go ahead, Rachel. I was going to say, Pushing Daisy's got two seasons. Firefly only got one, so it automatically wins. There we go. So Mordred takes them prisoner and starts marching them back to Camelot, and this is where we, we learn about Alisand thinks that uh, she's been chased off of her lands, and the goose that she is carrying she believes to be her father, who has been uh, changed into a goose through some sort of magic means uh, as a way to get the land away from them. Please tell me your wife watched this part. Uh, my wife saw like five minutes of this movie and was like, out Ranch, the door. Yeah. Out of the room. Yeah, she, she, she wanted no part of it. Yes. I, I, it, it's actually even more bizarre that, that um, what, well, he calls her Sandy, so I'm just going to refer to her as Sandy for the rest of this podcast because yes. I don't yes. like pronouncing her regular name. Okay, so he called Sandy tells the story, and she explains that she left her father eating and went to market. And when she came back, there was a goose still eating the meal, so obviously it was her dad. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> so, so one thing we should say is like much of the quote-unquote comedy of this movie, which is, I think, intended to be a comedy, comes from the fact that the people in the movie are not very bright. Like, that's an intentional choice in the script, like that most of the people in Camelot are very dumb. Including King Arthur. And Sir Gawain, and pretty much everybody. Okay, I will say, I don't think King Arthur's dumb. He just doesn't care. He... King Arthur was actually my favorite part of this whole movie, just because he really does not care about anything going on around him. Well, he cared about the rules, though. He cared about those rules. He cared about the rules, but he was just kind of like, okay, I guess someone died. Whatever. I I guess I guess their arm's gone. Yeah. No, I enjoyed enjoyed him and Gawain. Yes, you know, though, I guess it's good to be the king. Ooh la la. Sorry. (laughs) It's true. It's very true. But yes, so Sandy and and Tom get marched into court uh, where Merlin is doing a little display of magic uh, played by, uh, what's the actor's name? Oh, Ron Moody. Uh, Ron Moody, mm-hmm. yes, who played the same part in another version of this for Disney. Yeah. yeah seems, like, seems like a special sort of torture. <laughs> The the same part like twenty years later or something like that or fifteen years later, yeah. yeah. But uh, Mord- Mordred, so it should be pointed out, Tom at this point is still in his NASA spacesuit with the big bubble head and everything, so everyone thinks he's a monster. And Mordred marches him into court and starts bragging about how he beat all you know like six of these other monsters off, and that this is the one who survived. And it, it's it's a fun debate in that I think it was meant to be similar to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and I'll cut you off, Cheryl. Kids, don't go watch that without parents' permission. Mm-hmm. In the whole debate of whether they should burn him or not, I think it was supposed to echo that debate about burning the witch or not in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, because they're all debating: well, should we burn him or you know, <laughs> burn, him. Like, burn him, burn him? It's it's like this laziness. Well, we could burn him, but we don't want to. And I mean, like, that's the way they play it. And I think it's meant to be funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. Merlin says he's like, oh, well, we could burn him or I could throw in something extra, which I thought was a really weird line, as though it wasn't <laughs> enough that they were actually burning him to death. <laughs> right. 
Which yeah. also, um, my husband, who actually sat through this twice with me, um, he he made the comment, and this is a show not for kids, but he said, I think that this must have been the prelude to the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. He's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> so, which once again, not for kids, but. No, no. Definitely not in not. any way, shape, or form. Nope. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was just odd, like. Because, you you know, you have this concept in your head of King Arthur, right, of, you know, the Knights of the Round Table and all their noble deeds and, you know, the stories the, the, that we've talked about before on this show. And, and this is played for comedy, so it is literally like the passive, you know, apathetic Knights of the Round Table. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're old at this point, near as I can tell, right? Well, Wayne is the only one we actually see. Yeah. Yeah, and Mordred, who wouldn't even be there anyway, so it was kind of sort of, the whole thing was just odd. Yes, very much so. Uh, But they do decide to burn him. Uh, They have an epic debate when he tries to get his helmet off about, uh, he asked for a wrench. Uh, They deliver him a wench instead. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and And a wench, not like, you know, a winch, like they're winching something up to the back of the truck, but instead a serving maid who, who helps get his helmet off, and they start realizing that he is actually a person in there. So, and and then Tom proceeds to put them to sleep by, near as I can tell, relating the entire history of the United States, including mm-hmm. all scientific discoveries, sports teams, uh, movie stars. I, yeah, I don't know what he did. And Lee Thompson Day. Just uh, all of history has now been wrecked, thanks to Tom. <laughs> we have to double. We have to make sure that our Leaf Erickson Day comment gets in because because Amy Beth Combs will be really happy. Yes, yes. Leaf Erickson Day, by the way, is October 9th, For those who don't know, I uh, I have it marked on my calendar as a day to wear my uh, my Viking helmet, actually, and your cool beard. Uh, completely. Okay. Absolutely. Not to be confused with Leaf Garrett Day. That's a whole other thing. No. Yes. Definitely not. No. Uh, so after putting everyone to sleep, they wake up and throw him in jail. <laughs> I just like when the king starts to question parts of the story. Well, why wouldn't you <laughs> if you're the king? <laughs> it's fair. It's just kind of funny the way he does it. He's like, he's, you know, things like, you know, all right, yeah, well, we know the history, but it's him it's weird <laughs> we know the history but burn him yes yes but uh tom of course knowing knowing his camelot history starts screaming as they're dragging him off to jail that mordred is going to betray, betray them uh and no one's listening to him so he gets thrown in jail uh out uh, sandy comes to visit him give him something to eat and try to help him escape uh, and that's when he starts telling her all this stuff that he had told everyone else and he finally realizes that the asbestos in his suit will not burn. So they can try to burn him all they want, but it's not going to work. And he has air conditioning. Yes, which I I am still confused because I just don't know that all that stuff's actually going to work in 500-something B.C. or A.D. or whatever it is. Well, why wouldn't it work? I just don't know those batteries are going to work. 
when I bring stuff back in time all the time and it all functions well. <laughs> well, I mean, you would be the expert, so. Yeah. No, no, it's all, it's all relative. It depends on your battery life? Yes. Gotcha. Well, which, which way you're facing? Doctor Who never seems to have problems with his sonic screwdriver, so, you know. Fair point. Time, time doesn't really matter, I guess. I have to say, we always make it back with our stuff when we go on the dinosaur ride in the kingdom. That's right. We never lose our stuff too. on dinosaur. Good point. So, yeah, so he realizes that and tells Sandy not to worry to see him after the burning, which makes absolutely no sense to her. And then he looks down in the hole in the pit after she leaves, and there's her father on the rack. He's getting stretched out because Mordred's trying to steal his his lands and, you know, start start an uprising against the king. So it, this, this is really a movie uh, where nobody has any sense of urgency or shock or much of anything. It's, it's sort of the apathetic film. No, I, I agree. This, this is one of the, actually, this is one of the fundamental flaws with the movie is it's just so drawn out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a 40 minute, it, it, it like should have been told in 40 minutes for an hour long TV special, not the hour and a half that it is or whatever. Oh yeah. No, I, I paused it at a certain point cause I had to go, um, take care of some children stuff and that sort of thing. And I'm like, there's 45 minutes left of this. Like, I don't know what they're going to do for the next 45 minutes. So the next morning, Tom comes out in, in his super suit inflated. So he inflates the suit so that the flames will you know, not burn his suit and not get close to his skin. Uh, unfortunately, as the executioners are strapping him to the bonfire pole, they deflate the suit. It's still, when they try to burn him, it doesn't work. Um, it, they burn the ropes instead. He breaks free. Uh, my favorite part of this scene, though, is is King Arthur and Gawain talking as they're getting ready for the burning and as they're doing uh, getting Tom up on the, the bonfire. They're talking about all the things he told them the day before and getting everything mixed up. Yes. <laughs> which, which is why they might not have been successful, Rachel. In a- okay. Okay. Um, I was, I was going to say that you guys missed my, uh, the one part of the scene that I guess plays out later, the page copy of his Clarence, who he passes off his magazine to. And I guess that's the reason why they're friends later. Cause I can't really figure out another reason for it, but I get, well, he gets it back because he uses it to bribe him later. Right. Yeah. Yes. I think Clarence was friends with Alessandra possibly. I think Clarence just didn't like Mordred. That's my guess. Possibly. Yeah, my note on this on this scene and the subsequent scenes were that people have all this these undeserved feelings of hate or love for Tom at such an early point that yes. Mordred just hates him and the page and the maiden love him. <laughs> I think, and I wrote, why, why, why? <laughs> <laughs> the all American, the all American. They have they. This is the first person American they've met. And as we know, whenever Americans go anywhere, people love us. Oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. You're right, Rachel. I mean, like, they just, everybody just has their opinion on him and that they go with it. But uh, he comes down from the bonfire because the ropes burn, and he comes down and starts trying to talk to King Arthur to tell him about Sandy's father being in the dungeon. But uh, the suit lets out some, lets it, has springs a leak or something. I'm not really sure what how that all works. But anyway, uh, things get really hot for poor Tom. And he runs into the castle to try and find some water to cool off. 
And so rather than anyone like actually go do something, they start debating what they're going to do. Are they going to chase him down? I mean, like, I'm telling you, this is the most apathetic film I've ever seen. Like, we spend time just going, well, we could go get him. Or, you know, Mor- Mordred could go, I hate him, I'll go get him. Clarence, mm-hmm. go get my sword. Yeah, like, well, so. I mean, the fact that King Arthur is just continuing to keep his sword in the stone that he pulled it from instead of on him or anywhere near him kind of says it all. Yes. And and speaking of that, so, like, Mordred sends Clarence into the castle to get his sword, Tom's in the castle, Sandy sneaks in the castle, and they're trying to figure out, you know, that now they're all teamed up for, again, as you said, Rachel, no apparent reason. And... Tom's trying to find a way to defend himself because he knows Mordred's coming into the castle to kill him. And he's able to pull Excalibur out of the stone. So does that not mean he's the rightful king of England? <laughs> well, they say in it in here that it means that he's pure of heart, which that that isn't the case with pulling the sword out of the stone. But Right. I, That's my point. <laughs> I, didn't I really, mean, it, it, I, I didn't try to think about it. I realized the mistake, and I was like, "Yeah, all right." I'm, I, I'm just saying, it would have been a more interesting movie if all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, look, Tom's the king of England," and <laughs> even, even worse, Clarence gets the gets Mordred's sword, and somehow, and and I need someone to explain this to me <laughs> by tapping Mordred's sword with another sword. He turns Mordred's sword into a magnet. It it would have required heat, which was the problem with with it scientifically. So, so what he did was he asked which way north was. So first of all, he would have needed true north, not actual north, right? Because he needs magnetic north, right? right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and so he has to align it with that, and then heat, and he would have to heat it up and strike it just right. And it would it would magnetize, but not nearly like it was. But he, he was missing so many steps. It just like whatever. I think somebody had, went to science class where they teach you you can do that with like a paper clip, right? And um, he, the guy forgot a few steps in his science experiment and just like kind of left it in the in. It's just lazy screenwriting. That's what it is. Well. Uh, was there really screenwriting or were they swinging at the whole movie? <laughs> Lazy is a good way to describe this whole movie. The characters, the screenwriting, the acting. It's just like, it, like literally, it felt like watching it, I'm like, if you don't care when you're the character or the actor, I don't know why I should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, other, other things that Tom... Tate, Don Tate wrote, right, was uh, Apple Dumpling Gang, which is actually a movie I enjoy. That's not bad, yes. Okay. Uh, the Shaggy DA. Which right? we have not, I have not seen that one yet. We have but not talked about that one yet. We haven't talked about it yet. Yeah. I've seen it. It's it's good. I mean, it's it's a, it's a different than either of the Shaggy Dogs, for sure. Um, okay. The, the North Avenue and Regulars. Uh, I have not seen that one, no. Okay. And uh, Herbie Goes Bananas. Oh, that one's really bad. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a very hit or miss writer, and I would, you know, overall, I'm just going to call what we're reviewing now a miss. <laughs> and Indeed. I think it was a bunch of bullets on the back of a cocktail napkin, and they just kind of said, do stuff here. Do stuff here. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. 
Because this big fight between him and Mordred, it's like they're not really fighting. They're just sort of stumbling Mm -hmm. around the castle and Clarence, which how Mordred doesn't figure out that Clarence is not with him anymore, I don't know. Because Clarence is sitting there like sticking pots and pans to his magnetized sword. I don't know. Every once in a while, like whacks at him with Excalibur. I don't think he even does that much. Most of it, he's just running away yes, from. Yes, I agree, Rachel. He's just running. And and then Mordred falls over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but it goes on for like five minutes. It's very long. I, in fact, I wrote in my notes, goes on for a while. Y- yeah. <laughs> It's not as bad as the fight scene at the end, but we'll talk about that. (laughs) And and we should mention, by the way, Camelot apparently, uh, judging from the way that this movie portrays it, Camelot is four walls, a courtyard, and a great hall. Yeah. Well, this was this was actually oh, and the dungeon. Don't forget the dungeon. It it was actually yeah. Yeah, it was actually filmed in England at a real castle. See, I was getting the feeling they just filmed it at the wherever it was that they filmed uh, the court gesture with uh, Danny Kay. Like, I kept getting that feel from it, especially the Great Hall scenes. But Yeah, you're right. The Great Hall scenes do look like that. Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't figure out the exact place that it was, was filmed at, but you're right. I, I know what you're talking about with the, with the Great Hall. Um, I, could, I couldn't figure out where it was, but the, the, his rocket, Stardust, right? Yeah. It's actually on display in an amusement park to this day what yeah so, they just um, didn't want to take it home <laughs> <laughs> apparently not um this is there is a uh theme park called black gang chine i i'm probably not pronouncing that right i apologize to my uk friends uh it's on the isle of Wight in the uk that's why i think that's where they filmed it because why would you move it elsewhere um and it's actually they visitors to the park used to be able to actually climb inside of it but i guess it's closed now and you can just kind of see it it actually looks like a pretty cool um, park. I'll, I'll include the link in the show notes. You know what set this reminded me of? Rob Roy, the Highland Rogue. Yeah. Yeah, the castle part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But it, it, it just, it's not, like, you think of Camelot, you think of, you know, gleaming oh, spires yeah. and castle and stuff. This is not that. No. Mm-hmm. But there's also no... No Guinevere or anything. No, 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 none of that. So I had a question. I mean, a, a side question. So in um, in Sword in the Stone, right? What is um, Arthur's nickname? Is it Pig? Yes, I believe so. Because I thought that the 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 wench that they had him assist him, he referred to him as Pig, and I thought that was interesting. The Maybe an girl. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. I think that you're right about that. I I don't remember from the second time I watched it, but I think you're right. Yeah, I think you are. But yeah, so so we have this this quote unquote duel between Mordred and Tom, and that gets Tom an audience with King Arthur, and he makes his accusation that hey, Mordred's trying to steal you know Sandy's father's land, and he's got him chained up in the dungeon. They go down to the dungeon, and of course, the father is not there. We don't really ever get much of an explanation for this, but, you know, it is what it is. So Mordred demands a duel with Tom. 
which you would think he'd learn his lesson after having just completed one. <laughs> but no. Uh, and so now, all of a sudden, we're afraid that Mordred's going to kill Tom. So Tom, they decide to do it as a joust, and Tom sends Hermes in his place. Poor, pitiful Hermes. Yes. This is where he bribes Clarence with the magazine by finally giving it to him to help him. Yes. Uh, so Clarence and Tom are up in the tower um, trying to pack up while Hermes is sent out onto the field of battle and falls for Sandy. Or is it Sandy falling for Hermes? I'm not really sure. Yes. Yeah. And All here you get, you get the line of the movie in this scene. Remember, I can turn you off just as fast as she can turn you on. <laughs> that, that, that truly was the only clever bit of screenwriting in the film. Yeah, no kidding. My husband was, couldn't believe that they put that in a Disney movie. He made me rewind it and replay it just so he could be sure he heard that right. Kids <laughs> <laughs> get hey. joke something else. That's, what it is. That's right. Well, we didn't put it in the movie. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. No, we just, we're just merely reviewers on this wagon train. And, and what be to us for that? But yes, uh, so Hermes picks up Sandy and kisses her, and that's where this line gets uttered. And so we have the joust, and while Tom apparently has to pack the entire contents of Camelot in his tiny suitcase so he can try to get away, Mordred, his first pass takes Hermes' arm off. Nobody really has much of a reaction. His second pass takes Hermes' head off, and everyone says, oh, perhaps we should stop. But they don't. No. So they make another pass. It knocks him off the horse. I I like that. Uh, what is it? Is it Gwen who says, "Do you think someone should tell the American his arm is missing?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're very nonchalant. The whole the whole. I'm telling you, like that's the biggest problem. They're just like you know. Oh look, he got knocked off his horse. Like yeah. Yeah. I I wrote down what King Arthur's line is when he finally gets knocked off the horse. He said, well, I guess that's done. Yeah, it was very much like, I guess it's time for tea now. <laughs> and when, I, when Merlin says later that he wants to keep Hermes' body so he can study it, he just says, well, make sure to tidy up. Yes. As, he just asked if he could basically dissect this body... <laughs> I guess, like, because they think that they still think that he's a twin, and they're totally fine with that. Yeah. Just, just yeah. Yeah, you know, just, just, you know, don't leave a mess. Cut him to pieces, <laughs> but no, all good. But apparently, Tom, while packing up the entire contents of Camelot, found proof that Mordred is a turncoat, uh, and rushes out, and everybody gets very confused, and he proves that Mordred is a turncoat, and. Uh, so, so now all of a sudden Tom going from being a prisoner is now he's a, he's a good guy and Mordred says death to King Arthur and, and runs off. Note, note at and, this and, point there's still 40 minutes left to this movie. <laughs> and that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, this is the point at which I paused it and I went, oh, there's more? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so now Tom is trying to help them defend the castle against Mordred, and he pulls out a laser beam. A laser beam? Sorry. Yes, but uh, so we, we get a demonstration of the laser beam uh, and the, the magic weapon, and then, of course, Merlin sees this and 
sees that, you know, he's going to have to take the castle. Somehow he's going to have to get the people into the castle because Merlin's a turncoat, too, of course. Yes. Uh, and he is going to have to do something to to get this, you know, the laser out of the way so that Merlin or, or Mordred, rather, can enter the castle and, you know, take the kingdom and all sort of things. So he sends a new character known as Oaf. <laughs> Who comes out of nowhere. Yeah, completely. Uh, to go get Sandy, bring Sandy, kidnap Sandy, and uh, while Tom, and then send somebody to tell Tom that you know Sandy's waiting for him, and then he sneaks into Tom's room, where Tom has cleverly hidden the most destructive weapon in all of England under his pillow. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody thinks he's clever for hiding it there. They do. And I'm not really sure why. No, no, not really. Can I, uh, a quick side note about the ray gun. They say in it that it's supposed to be for collecting rock samples. Yes. That's not for collecting rock samples. No. <laughs> it's for obliterating that, rock samples. I think it was for if they met aliens. Yes, that's that's what my husband said. He's like, that's not for rock samples. That's for genocide. That's for planetary <laughs> genocide. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but yeah, so this is like Sandy and Tom have a falling out because you know she kissed Hermes and you know she didn't show up for him, and he's all upset. He's done with women. He's talking to Hermes. He's trying to figure out a way to launch the Stardust. Because, you know, if he's ever going to get back, he's got to launch his little space shuttle. Uh, and they don't have rockets here. So they got to figure out a way to get him <laughs> up into space. Um, and, and let me tell you that they don't, but they pretend they do. <laughs> but when he finds out that Sandy's been kidnapped, he takes the – he backs this, like, lunar rover thing out of the Stardust, and he asks – and he but sees wait, the laser. He doesn't figure can... out she was kidnapped till they find a dot, till they find the goose. That's right. Until a guy is walking mm-hmm. around with the goose randomly. Random goose man. <laughs> so it was the goose that led him up, led us up to the fact that hey, Sandy's missing. <laughs> it's true. Very true. So yes, he he asking Arthur for his most shiny armor. Uh, and I'm going to say that the science doesn't work on this because he t- puts on the shiny armor that is supposedly solid gold, drives the lunar rover into Mordred's camp, uh, and we see the Merlin and Mordred plotting, and Merlin says he has a secret passage to get them in, but they're interrupted by Tom. Mordred takes the laser and shoots Tom, and it reflects off gold shiny armor and starts destroying the rest of the camp. I yeah. don't think that happens. No, no. I, I mean, here's the problem, right? Is um, I my problem with this fundamentally was uh, the gold foil experiments with you know light and X rays and gamma rays and stuff that you used to read about in science class. Nobody else knows what you're talking about. I know. Uh, <laughs> I I don't think it. I don't think it would. I don't think it would work. I think chances are it would just kind of get dispersed by the gold more than reflect off of it. But it wasn't really gold. It wasn't pure gold. Yes. There, it, it was gold, just not pure gold. Somebody stiffed the king. It was gold plated. So maybe that's why it worked. That's my theory. Because let's face it, gold armor is not a bright idea. Solid pure gold armor. 
Just it's yes. just gonna dent every step you take. Yeah, that would have been bad. Okay, yeah. I do have a really terrible theory for how that could have worked. Um, right before they shoot him, he declares his love for um, for Sandy. Yes, yes, Sandy. Okay, and he he tells her that he wants to split a pizza and a six pack and watch the Super Bowl with her. Going off of the Harry Potter logic, maybe he protected her with his the power of his love. <laughs> I okay. that's the only explanation I can think of for for why that would work, but well, that's way more magical than anything Merlin does in this movie. So <laughs> isn't that the truth? Yes. <laughs> like Merlin has no magic at all. No, I, I thought I wrote down at one point in my notes that it's just all really pressed to digitation. It's not magic. Yeah, and considering that the original book, uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, that so much of it's supposed to be about magic, that he, because he's from the future, knows all this science that he appears to be doing magic, but he isn't really. It Magic played very, very a very small part in this movie. Right. I mean, I, in the original story that's based on, I mean, Merlin gets jealous of the Traveler because he has – because uh, the king sees his stuff for magic as well, and he kind of – takes the place of Merlin as Merlin kind of becomes the bad guy in that too. Yeah, I mean, really yeah. the rest of the story is they go back to the castle um, and Mordred's fans and friends and compatriots invade the castle and we have a big fight with Tom in his flying backpack thing that he uses to get Sandy out of the <laughs> other camp. The ejection seat. Yeah, see, it's basically the ejection seat that flies. I didn't understand that much either. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote down in my notes, the battle ensues very slowly, painfully <laughs> slowly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just him flying around and, like, knocking things over, like, literally knocking things over to stop them. And he's in the, and he can, has Hermione in the stardust. Yeah, and the hatches hope open the entire battle. He doesn't ever think, oh, I should close the hatch to the spaceship. Because Merlin sneaks in. Yeah, yes. until Merlin gets in. Right. Well, you get you get what Merlin was going to do, right? To Hermes off. Yeah, because he, he sees how to turn Hermes off while Tom is uh, operating on Hermes. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. he was he because he was going in to reach for the neck the spot on the neck to turn Hermes off, and then of course he get he does Hermes do the salute and he falls out. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. We have Hermes. I mean, Tom is calling out commands to Hermes and the Stardust. Like apparently, at some point, they just decide, well, we don't need to, you know, invade the castle anymore. We're going to stop the Stardust which is, like, blowing off smoke and doing all these things. I'm like, why don't you just ignore that and go storm the castle? Yeah. <laughs> Agree. But they don't. And it ends up being their undoing, and we, we defeat Mordred, and that's, that's, that's his threat. Yeah. Well, if the bad guys had the gun, why would they have to sneak in the take a secret passageway into the castle in the first place? When they could have blown a hole in the wall. I agree. Yep. I yeah. Agree. I, I don't understand that either. I, I don't. I, I, I don't understand. It, plus, uh, when they're testing it out, 
why would the first thing the king want to do is blow a blow up the wall of his own castle to test out the gun? Because <laughs> the walls of Camelot were supposedly so strong, he was testing out those those people who made the castle, and he probably fired them the next day. I bet. Yeah, who knows? That's no, because the next day he it. fires Tom into space. Sorry, good yes. <laughs> on a ramp. Can we talk about this for a minute? Like, because basically he decides, oh, well, we can't take Sandy with us, and, you know, he and Hermes get on the ramp because they don't know what's going to happen to her. They want to take her with them, but they can't, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but they build a ramp and light a fire underneath the stardust, and this ramp that's tilted at, what, like a 30-degree angle? Yep. All of a sudden gets mm-hmm. them into the air? Yep. Yeah, no. So... Yeah, because one of his reasons for not bringing her back is because he's afraid that she'll age a thousand years. But he didn't de-age, so you'd think that he would have figured it out sooner than he does? Nope. Gotta have that suspense. Well, this is a guy intelligent enough to build a humanoid, but not smart enough to think, hey, I shouldn't tell the entire hum- human history to some middle-aged pe- like people in the Middle Ages. So, or no, or no one cares if he wears a suit jacket and a bow tie in the middle of medieval England. <laughs> that jacket was yeah. awful. Also, I wouldn't be giving out history, especially when you can United States history when you can tell me when the, when the British would have won the revolution. That, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's How did they cool. react to the Revolutionary <laughs> War when he got to that part of the story? They probably uh, were asleep I, by then, I'm guessing. I was going to say, yeah, I'm guessing they were asleep at that point. <laughs> but he wasn't too smart. Either. He wasn't He wasn't too smart, but... None of them were. None of them were. But yes, and it, that's the realization they come to, because they have the goose in the back. Um, we, by the way, we finally find out that the goose... That the father's alive and Sandy realizes it. Oh, the he, the, no, no, he, wait, 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 we skipped a scene. What scene? The table scene. Oh, that's right. Oh, they, yeah. Tom oh. gets to take uh, mm-hmm. Mordred's spot at the uh, round table. Ugh. And he gets a, a Polaroid. That's right. He he takes a picture of of everyone in in medieval times and leaves him with the camera. Yep. Which which is bad, yeah. Which I, my thought was this was that uh, he would find out that he accidentally killed one of his ancestors in the big battle they had, and that he'd just slowly disappear from the Polaroid. <laughs> that would have been better. I would have liked that better. Yeah, you know, they find out the goose is in the is in the spaceship, and the goose is okay. So they're like, "Oh, Tom says we can turn around and go get Sandy because Sandy had left him a note that, or had left Hermes a note rather." that she had picked Tom, and Tom was the one she liked. Um, yes. So they turn around and go get her, and that's the end of the movie. We don't actually see them get her. They just turn the very bad model around. Well, you know, that's what the strings were for. Which I swear you could almost see. <laughs> yeah. So, and one was a thank goodness this movie did not have a Star Wars Avengers reference. Speaking of Star Wars, can we say so this movie came out like it? It was like released like twice or something like that. Once in seventy eight, once in seventy nine, with the two different mm-hmm. names, right? Um, yep. Yeah, Star Wars was already at. How can you constantly release this movie and have all this stuff in it? I mean, even Star Trek that was 
uh, a television show that was twelve years before, ten, twelve years before this was out, right? Was had better special effects and stuff than this movie. I I just don't mm-hmm. understand how anyone could think to put this movie out. I don't get how anyone thinks three stars is worth this movie because I found a review. I don't worry. It, it's oh, like, I found a five star. And this guy gave, guy gave it three stars. Wow, it's only thirty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I found a five star review for it. I actually have. It's really a short review, so um, it's a Todd. He'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm with you, Todd. I'm like, I'm looking at when this came out and going, yeah, somebody at Disney just wasn't getting the idea because I mean, we know they commissioned the black hole based off the success of Star Wars, and but to put this out, they, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, now, it it did get it the typical uh, Disney comic book treatment that all the movies had through like 1984 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it it was uh, Walt Disney Showcase number fifty two for people who want to dig that out. And if you do, you really need to examine your priorities. <laughs> All right, um, I think you can probably tell how the the ratings are going to go for this because, um, and I don't know about you, Todd. There wasn't a lot of information in, uh, about this movie out there on the interwebs or in the world at large because no, I think there most were like, people saw it and gave up. Yeah, there were like three reviews of it. One guy who actually reviewed it as as the uh, DVD that was released. Because I, I guess when they when they went from VHS to DVD for this, they changed it so that it was um, – it they released it as 16 by 9 which it wasn't originally on VHS as 16 by 9 So that was a big thing. But he said there's nothing. It was just – it sounded like – you know, you've heard my my Blu-ray reviews that come out. Is I am not a big fan of wasting all that science that that you could, you know, by, of the space that you can fit on to a Blu-ray and just put yeah. the movie on it and be done and not have any, you know, extras or anything like that. But they do. Disney still does that sometimes, and I really wish that they would take the time to put something on a Blu-ray rather than just a movie, or there's no reason to have it be released on Blu-ray, because you could release the high-res movie on a DVD if it was just a movie. Yes. Yeah, there's definitely no reason for this to be on Blu-ray, and thankfully I don't believe it is. Yet. Yeah, I think it's just DVD. And Because that's yeah. why I watched, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, no. I, I don't think it's going to be coming on Blu-ray anytime soon. I don't think they have to worry about making them right back on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Did they spend any money on it? I don't know. I don't think so. All right. So uh, let us rate this. We will allow our guests to go first. So, Rachel, on a scale of one to five, what would you give uh, this film? I'm going to give it one star, and that one star is simply for King Arthur. And I and the sad thing is I really do like Jim Dale, but I just in this movie he's just not used well at all. I would agree with that. I would agree. Cheryl, what about you? What did you think? I'm going to the one star and they made a movie. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much yeah. that's, that's about all you can it, say. But it's, it, it, it's pretty funny. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I would tell you to spend the $3. I, again, $3, I tell you to spend the $3 on it. Don't spend more than that. Todd, what about you? Would you would you advise people spend the three dollars? 
So here's the here's here's my little story about this movie. Um, I'd seen this movie a lot of times when I was younger because think of all the things that are in it that are very much up my alley, right? Oh, completely. Right. Uh, I sadly though, this is one of those movies where you remember liking it so much when you were younger, and then you watch it as your adult, you go, "What mm. was I thinking?" <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, this is this is just I I I don't know what younger me was thinking other than that okay there's swords and there's magic and you know there's silly stuff and it's about all i can get to wrap my head around right now um i would say one except i'll give it a uh extra quarter star for poorly thought out uh science poorly thought out is a good word yeah so one and a quarter yeah. yeah um i i will echo the sentiments of everyone here with a one um it is it's not unwatchable, but it's close. It's it's very difficult to get through. I had to like actually pause it a couple times and just, you know, sort of take a deep breath like I was in the middle of a workout in order to make it through. But uh, I did, and I will give it a one for, as Cheryl said, they did make a movie and release it into theaters. So, you know, you got to give them a little credit for that, but... But yeah, it's it's not good. Um, I would say for me, I would not advise you to spend three dollars to rent this unless a you're a Disney completionist or b you just want to join in the fun and get the jokes in, in the podcast. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a perfectly valid thing, by the way. Can I throw in one last uh, factoid that I found when researching this? Or absolutely, absolutely, please do. Um, the interesting thing about this is the actor who played Merlin, uh, Ron Moody, and Sheila White, who played Sandy, were actually in the film Oliver together, um, which won Best Picture the year that it came out, as well as, I think, several other Oscars. So the talent in this movie wasn't necessarily terrible. It's just I think the project itself was just bad. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I wrote down yeah. – I, I wrote when I – See actors like Ron Moody. I write that. I write down things like uh, famous for playing really creepy, scary old dudes. <laughs> the Steve Buscemi of his day. He, re- he actually, that's a really oh, good comparison. It really is. That's a, right on, Rachel. <laughs> so that is our review of Unidentified Flying Oddball or the Spaceman and King Arthur, depending on which year or which theater or which DVD you own. Uh, It is the 1978 Disney film, so uh, make sure that if you have not checked that out, you know, you take our advice before doing so. Uh, Until next week, you can let us know what you think of Unidentified Flying Oddball, if you are brave enough to tackle it. You can let us know on Twitter when the episode comes out, at Diz Film Project. We are on Facebook, Disney Film Project, and of course, um, you can find us every time at disneyfilmproject.com and you you never know you could be just like rachel and all of a sudden boom you're, you're on facebook or on twitter and all of a sudden you're on the show so we we are a true interactive podcast in that way so just make sure that you are keeping track of those things and uh make sure that you are checking us out on all of the various and sundry social networks so until next week folks thanks for listening and we'll talk to you later i can find you five girls who are more comely and accommodating it's a flag from his Uncle Sam. Right after I'm burned at the stake, I'll tell the whole story to King Arthur. Would it not show more foresight to tell him before the burning? Yeah, I want to see the alternate reality that he would actually come back to if they followed the, the rules of time travel. 
with him giving them the entire history of the world. And a Polaroid that... camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could, you, you said that, but it's, it's a very um, common uh, plot device to um, give a camera to someone and leave it back in time, and then suddenly like technology is super advanced mm-hmm. when you return to your own time. That happens like all the time. Well, it's like the whole Back to the Future thing, that he comes back and um, that everything has changed. Yep. It's all Planet of the Apes. Thank you, Barry the Plasmos. 